Hey, good morning. Morning. Um, yeah, so Mark and I were chatting. Like, I'm tired. Are you tired? <laughs> Just, uh, anyone go back to school this week? Anyone have kids go back to school this week? I am utterly exhausted. Oh, my gosh. And, uh, and there's a passage. It's going to require some energy because we'll have to speak out loud. But a passage I want to share with you today. And, uh, and I just ask you to repeat after me. Jesus said these words. He says, come to me, all you who are weary. Come to me, all you who are weary. And I will give you. And I will give you. Rest. Yeah, you know it, right? <laughs> That sounds really good right about now. We're going to get to that in a moment, but let me, let me frame this for you. Um, way back early in Fellowship of Faith's history, this is before we had like the coffee house going on and, and stuff like this out there, we were teaching a Bible study actually in this room, and it was on the, uh, the book of Leviticus, okay? Totally rocked. And uh, <laughs> did. About 25 of us were gathered in this. And, uh, and really quick, what, what Leviticus is about is it, it's this book about what it means for the community of God or the people of God to come together and live as a community in God's presence. And while they're living in God's presence, how God is forming them into the community he wants them to be. Does that make sense? Immensely practical book with an incredible message for today, despite what people often tend to think about it as. And when you open up in Leviticus, the first thing it does is it lays out five sacrifices, five sacrifices that the, the Israelites can bring. It's pretty cool because they're positioned more not as commands, but almost that these are things they get the opportunity to do in their community and to bring God. Now, the first is called the whole burnt offering. And then the second is called um, often like the grain offering or even the, the cereal offering, which to this day I still have like visions of Israelites bringing lucky charms to the altar of God or, or something like that. But whatever, that's what it's often called. The fourth is called the, the sin offering. And the fifth is often called something like the guilt offering or the purification offering or, or something to that effect. Now, in the middle, number three, is something that is called the shelamim. Okay? The shelamim. Do you have that? Do you think you got that word? The shelamim. Now, if you're listening to this word, you might hear a Hebrew word that you know in there. And you might be going, I don't know Hebrew. You know this word. I'm almost positive. Here it's shelamim. What do you hear in there? You hear that? Shalom. And what does shalom mean? You got it. It's often translated peace. But what you'll see is that the shelamim is often translated as something like fellowship offering, community offering, occasionally peace offering. But it's because the idea that shalom in the scriptures is not just about the absence of conflict. Shalom is about abundance and prosperity and wholeness and it's a word that more or less encapsulates and defines all that God intended his creation to experience and to be. Peace, of course, being an integral part of that. So you come to sacrifice or offering number three, and you have the shelamim. Now, 
as you're reading it, um, you could bring all kinds of things. Usually it was an animal of some kind. And what you would do is you would take this animal and you would bring it to, in, in the early Israelite days, to this, this tent, this tent that was always on the move. And this is where, where God was, was most concentrated. And later it was the, the temple that came to replace it. But you would bring your Shalemim there. And there's a line that I want to show you. It says what to do. From the Shalemim, he is to bring a sacrifice made to the Lord by fire. It's fat. The entire fat. God apparently likes fat. All right? How many of you here would like to bring your fat to the Lord? All right? So you bring the Shalemim, and the fat is burned up. But oftentimes in the scriptures, what's not said is more communicative than what is actually said, particularly when you weigh what's said in relation to the other sacrifices, the other offerings being given up. Let me show you what I mean. The whole burnt offering, this is how it works. You would bring your, your bull, your goat, whatever it was, you would bring it to the altar, you'd spray lighter fluid on that sucker, you would light it up, and it's just the whole thing. The whole thing, hence the name, whole burnt offering, kind of aptly named, would you agree? The whole thing is burnt up to God. The, the Lucky Charms offering, if you were to bring that, basically what you would do is you would take a small portion of it out and season it with incense, and, and you would burn that up to God as, as an offering to him, but the rest of it would go to the priests, and that's how they were supported. It would go to the priests in the temple complex. That's how they would get their, their livelihood, so to speak. And then the priests were entrusted with the responsibility of sharing that with the, the widows and the fatherless and the orphans and the aliens and, and the poor in their midst. Now, look at the Shalomim. Bring your animal to the Lord and burn the fat, all the fat. Question, what do you do with the rest of it? It doesn't actually say right there. But what you would do with the rest of it is you would eat it. You would burn the fat and the rest you would eat. This is the barbecue offering, all right? And what you were commanded to do is you would bring it to the temple or you'd bring it to the tabernacle. Have you ever tried to eat a whole side of beef, right? You bring this whole side of beef. You bring your cow, you bring your goat, you burn up the fat, and then you eat it and you share the rest with other people who come to join in and share this feast with you. Do you start to see why it's often translated something like the community or the fellowship offering? Who wants to go to church on the day that this one is being offered up? Now, here at Fellowship of Faith, we, we've always had this idea, don't just read the text, experience the text, live the text. And so we were gathered at this Bible study, and we were, we were reading about this offering, had this idea. <clears throat> Mind you, remember, this is before the coffee house was out there. This is before we had like any level of kind of like the food or the drink products that we're doing. And we had some donuts out, but it really wasn't much beyond that. And we were like, what if, what if the 25 of us were to actually try and do the Shalomim? 
what if next Sunday we were to all kind of do what ancient Israel did and bring something and like just people would come and they would show up and there would be like this, this like, oh my gosh, what is going on? New people would come and go like, what, what is this place? What is, are, are you with me? Now, I had naive hopes that what would be experienced would be up here, but there was another side of me that was kind of watching this going, let's see how this plays out and how people respond. So the next Sunday comes. I remember this vividly. This one dude, this one guy, he brings a can of Pringles. There was this woman. She brought a box of Entman Donuts. And then this other woman brought what I can only describe is something like, it was like this half-eaten package of cookies that looked like it had been sitting in her cabinet for about six months. And those were the highlights. Like, like seven other people didn't even show up. And, and like four people like kind of walked in and no context of what was going on. And like the rest of the people just nothing. Zilch. Like, okay, guys, let, let's feast. Church, come and eat. We got a can of Pringles, a box of Entenmann donuts, and a half-eaten package of Oreos. This is, this is beyond my wildest dream, right? It was so, it was lame. It was lame. Now, let's, uh, let's analyze it. What would have happened if all 25 of those people would have invested just a minimal amount of energy, just the smallest amount of energy to do just a little part and bring something together for everyone to share. How would that day have been different? Let's not stop there. What would have happened if the 25 people that were a part of it said, no, this is this is something that can really make a difference. This is something that, that, that can be a lot of fun. This is something that, let's get excited about it and kind of do a sneak attack, you, you know, like total random act of kindness, and invested a moderate amount of energy. What would the day have looked like then? What would have happened if some people caught a vision for this and said, this rocks. I want to be an Israelite. What if they... What if some dude went home and he got on the phone and he called up some caterer to come and like make omelets? You, you know what I mean? Like shaving the roast beef and, and someone else came and they set up a griddle and they were making pancakes and they were giving out pancakes and they were giving pancakes away that were as big as your head. And then they made people dance for the pancakes because who doesn't want to see that? You know what I mean? And what if someone else said, I'm going to go to the bakery and I'm going to clean that bakery out and we're not just going to have a box of donuts. We are going to have pastries and scones and coffee cakes and eclairs and Napoleons. You could tell I like pastries of all different kinds laid out from one end to the other. And what if they said, and we're going to keep doing it. We're going to keep doing it because this is rock. Who's doing that in the world? What would have been different if people had responded in just a slightly different way. What's fascinating to me about the Shelemim is that God never tells the Israelites how much they should bring. There's no minimum quota. There's no cajoling. 
manipulation, guilt, pressure, or any of those kinds of things. It's simply God going, here is this amazing thing that you can experience. And what you experience will be in relation to what you bring. Bring a pigeon, you're going to have a pigeon-style feast. Bring a fattened calf, it's barbecue time. Are you with me? I've often been fascinated and curious. Why, when you go into some churches, they just seem amazing. It seems like something... There's something to hop in there. There's an energy. There's something palpable. It's like there's an investment. You can't really put your finger on it, but it is there. And you go in, and you want to be a part of it. Have you had this experience somewhere before? And likewise, you can go into another church the same size, the same levels of talent, the same belief systems, better location, even better resourced or bigger at times, and it just feels lame. It just feels dead and flat and vacuous, like there's nothing there. Have you experienced this before? Do you know kind of what I mean? And I've realized it's not just churches. I've seen this in schools. I've seen this in communities. Why is it that people will drive from all around Chicagoland and out of state to go to Lake Geneva, a town population of 7,500 people, when there are lake towns 10 times that size that pale in comparison? I find it's true in families, in relationships. Guys, I find, I find it's true in us. I find it's true and our own spiritual lives, our personal lives, and our walk with Christ as well. Because what's embedded here in the Shalemim is this idea that what you experience will be in relation and proportion to what you bring and invest in it. You with me? I like how Paul puts this. He says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. You know these words, sow and reap, right? We, we don't really do this. I don't sow and reap, but we know what this means, right? Whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. And people always want to like make this about money. It is about something so much bigger than money. It's about the shalomim, the shalom, the experience you will have in your relationship and life with God. It is about you and your personal spiritual life. Now, just so there is no misconception on this, God loves you accepts you, rescues, rescues you, redeems you, and saves you, not because of what you are bringing or because of what you are investing. God loves you, accepts you, rescues you, redeems you, and saves you because he loves you and he does it for you, regardless of what you bring. But guys, I'm here to tell you today, salvation 
is just the beginning. Salvation is not the goal, but it is the doorway in to a bigger experience called shalom that God wants to have in you, an experience of shalom that we get to taste now, this side of eternity, an experience in mind-blowing ways that we can't imagine, the other side of eternity. And what you will experience in that will be in proportion and relation to what you bring and invest personally in it. Have you ever had the experience or known someone, two believers, one is like, here's the terms you hear, on fire. They are just busting out of their skin, feeling a presence and an excitement and a joy about God. It doesn't mean everything is good in their life. It doesn't mean even you look at your life and like, why are you happy? But they have something and there is something going on in them that they're going somewhere and they love it and they're tasting something. And then you see someone else right next to them and they're just like asleep, bored, checked out. You know what I mean? How many of you experienced both in your life? Oftentimes, what you experience is in proportion and relation to the energy and investment that you bring. Now, I want to show you something Jesus said. He, um, he comes to earth, God, right? So that's, that's pretty high up there. He comes to earth, and he begins his ministry, and he's teaching his disciples what it means to be a follower of him, and he says these words, I have come to serve, not be served. Now, I want you to actually repeat that with me. Would you say that with me? I have come to serve, not be served. And he invites us to do the same. I've had more conversations than I can count of people who have said something along these lines. I come to church to be lifted up. All right, now, I like being lifted up. It feels really, you ever see Rudy, they're like carrying him out, you know? Like, who doesn't want to experience that someday? But it's amazing to me and interesting to me that not even Jesus came to be lifted up. So if you've come to be lifted up, what you're in essence saying is that I am worthy of greater honor than Jesus. You with me? I want to encourage you to think about this experience on different terms instead. What if you came not to be lifted up, but to lift up Jesus? And what if you came to lift up Jesus by lifting up another? Because the way you love God is by loving the people he loves. The way you serve God is by serving the people he loves. And what would it look like if we took Jesus' words seriously to say, I have not come to be lifted up, but I have come to serve, because that is the way of Jesus. Because see, guys, here's the thing. Each of you has a ripple effect. 
You ever do this? You, you, you like throw stones over a bridge like into a river or into a pond or something like that. And the stone is about that big, but it disrupts this field around it that's like 40 times the size of what it is. A ripple goes out that changes the landscape, right? Each of you, though maybe even just a small stone, has a ripple effect that goes far beyond what you can ever imagine. Each of you has an influence in this world. Each of you has a ministry. A ministry. Ministry just means a minister is a servant. That's all the word means. Each of you has a ministry. A ministry and a calling that God wants to unleash in you to lift up others. And each of you here has a mission to the world. You might be brand new here. You might be brand new to this Jesus thing. You might be just kind of like sitting there checking it out. Awesome. Dang, man, that's awesome. We are so glad that you are here. And I'm telling you, God has a ministry for you. God has a mission for you. Some of you are here. You're just tired right? You're just tired because the other six days of the week are long and they demand every ounce of our attention and our energy and then we feel like we've given it all and then life demands more, doesn't it? Jesus says these words to you. Come to me you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Now, do you put a period there in Jesus' teaching? Is that where his teaching cuts off for you? Let me read you the next sentence. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take, how do you do it? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and you will find rest for your souls. Do you know what a yoke is? In the ancient world, and even into agriculture up through the, you know, up until even um, the modern era, what they would do is they would take oxen. And it would put this big wooden bar on them. It's called a yoke. And what this, 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 this apparatus would do is you would hook like a plow to it or a cart to it or, or a wagon or, or something like that for the oxen to pull. Now, the ancient rabbis used to talk about a teacher's yoke. They would talk about a rabbi's yoke. And what it meant to take the rabbi's yoke was to take his interpretations, his method of teaching, his ideas and insights into truth and put them into practice for yourself. So what does Jesus say to you who are weary and burdened? Take my yoke, my way, my teachings upon you. Learn from me. And what does the teacher say? I have come to serve, not be served, and you will find rest for your souls. Come and serve, and you will find the refreshment and rest for your souls. Does that make any sense to you? Does that not feel just like completely twisted? 
and, and upside down and like backwards and defies like all common sense whatsoever, it's okay. You can, you can admit it. Jesus isn't going to be mad, right? Have you ever noticed how Jesus does that all the time? He takes what we think is common sense and completely turns it on its head and shows another way that defies all logic and then says, trust me. Try it. See what happens. And there's some of you here that are like serving like mad dogs. You've been serving so much and you're just like, you feel like you're doing it all. Take a Sabbath. Take a Sabbath and take a day of rest, but remember a Sabbath is one day out of seven and one year out of seven. Take that time to get a break, but then get back in the game because the refreshment and rest and purpose that you're looking for is going to be found in serving, not in being lifted up by another. God gives each of us this incredible opportunity to enter in to this thing called shalom that he offers but what I have come to, to discover and what I think comes out of the scriptures is that the degree to which we will experience it is often in direct proportion to that which we bring. Bring a pigeon and enjoy a pigeon-level spiritual life. Bring a fattened calf and just see what God might bring. Now, Today we have this thing going on. It's called the influence fairy. I mean, unless you're blind, you couldn't have missed it walking in, right? I mean, you gotta walk the gauntlet to get to the door. Ministry leaders of all stripes and varieties representing compassion initiatives, local mission initiatives, global mission initiatives, ministries and ways to serve others in the body right here, and in our communities. And what we want to do by this today is give you an opportunity to experience and live Jesus' words. What I want to encourage you to do is when we get out of the service, go talk to them. Go meet some of them. Go hear about what's going on and see what might be the thing that God is calling you into? Because I want to take seriously these words, I've come to serve, not be served. That's what I want our church to be about too. And I just want to invite you into that journey here today, to take a leap, to take a risk, to dare stepping out just a little bit and see what God might have in store. So, um... Love to pray with you. I just ask you if you please rise. And uh, and pray with me. Lord, uh, you, you came down from heaven. You came down from heaven, and if any of us were in our right mind, we should have put you on a throne and carried you around so that your feet never touched the ground. We should have put you up in palaces and mansions and waited on you. 
and served you so that not a care in this world would dare come across you. That is how worthy you are, but Lord, you, it's not your way. You came and you served and you told your disciples, I did not come to be served. I've come to serve and you said to each of them and each of us, come, follow me. You ask us to do the same. Guide us in this, God. Guide us into refreshment, renewal, purpose, energy, ways and means to lift others up, to be a blessing. May we trust our influence and our ripple effect into your hands. May we bring in our lives a shell of meme worthy of your name. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever.